Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast where we sit down with entrepreneurs, business owners, and really pick their brain to try to understand how we can apply some of their practices and insights to help in our own journey in becoming a leader. Ultimately, we want to help lead a better life, both at your work and at home. My guest today is the Chief Vision Officer of Leaf and Limb. This is an organization that believes trees are essential to human life, and they put an immense amount of effort in highlighting their sustainability purpose in all their tree care services. He has a passion for leadership and is fully in line with the phrase, great readers are great leaders. I have an immense amount of respect for anyone who's constantly working at their craft, regardless of the success they've accomplished. And with him, I truly felt his hunger to constantly learn. And you can really tell that he at all times is looking to gather more information and gain a new perspective. I really enjoyed this conversation and I recommend having a pen or paper or have your Apple notes ready as he shares great insights and tips to help you on your own journey. Everyone, please give it up for Basil Camus. Imagine a 10-year-old boy in the kitchen, writing words down, wanting his mom to listen, but she bitching. Like, I ain't trying to hear that now. Cause this thing's more I'm sure we're good to go. Cool. All right. Basil, uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, welcome to the Leadership Evolved podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I want to start with your website because that is what drew my eye initially. Um, when you go on your site, it says um, healthy trees, happy people. And then it goes into more about sustainability. It takes a solid 20 to 30 seconds until I figure out what you guys are even selling and doing. And I was so fascinated by that because you're so focused on, on the vision. What was your mindset when you went and created that and, and start off the website with that kind of verbiage? I mean, to be perfectly honest, it was definitely an evolution. I don't, you know, we didn't start there. Uh, it took a lot of years to get there. But really, the motivation now is we try to lead with purpose. Um, we found our purpose as a company. I personally found my purpose. And um and that really drives a lot of what I do, what I believe in, what we do as a company. So, you know, it should follow that if you land on the site, that's the first thing you get acquainted with is what do we believe? What do we stand for? And what was that evolution? So you, you told me you weren't there initially. So what was the process of you get evolutionizing to where you are now? <sighs> which which story length do you want? I, I suppose. <laughs> I guess I would say, you know, your your approach to sustainability um, and, and making that purpose seen first before the services. You just told me right now that before it wasn't like that and you guys were focusing on um, your landscaping services that you guys do. Yeah. What made that shift happen? Even if it's from a business perspective, what made it click for you guys that, hey, we really need to focus on the purpose now? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a story just because I think it's worth hearing some of this. Um, I really didn't start off like this at all. I mean, honestly, I was on the other side of the spectrum. I, um, in my mid twenties, I thought that most of climate change was a hoax. Um, I thought much of the work being done, uh, was for political reasons. Um, I had really had really strong political views about uh, certain topics. So I really like evolved a lot in my mindset. Um, and really I think that where that started is, um, 
you know, I got involved in this business. I really didn't know much at all about trees. I was really sort of more business focused. Um, and then just because of the nature of what we were trying to achieve, I was really uh, learned a lot about trees. Um, plus, I love reading. I love learning. Uh, so over the years, I got to know things on a deeper level, you know, the tree biology, soil biology, the intricacies of how things work. And the deeper you dive into these things, like it's just mind blowing. I mean, truly mind blowing the complexities of nature. So around, you know, somewhere in my young 30s, I um, sort of, well, and then a couple other things were happening around the, the, during this, this time period. I uh, came across Yvonne Chouinard's book, um, The Responsible Company, which is really heavily influential for me. Um, and that was a big wake up call. I was like, okay, well, we, you know, I'd always yearned for something deeper than just business. No, that's not true. I originally yearned for money. Mm -hmm. And then I began wanting something a little deeper. Um, so that was a really awesome book. Um, and then I would add one third ingredient here. And that is, um, I really hate mowing. And uh, <laughs> I bought, you know, I had a, I bought a house and I uh, was out yeah. mowing in the front yard. I'm like, you know, why do I have to mow the grass? Like, this is, this is, I hate this. So I want to plant a bunch of trees and shrubs and, and uh, vines and then I don't have to know anymore. So I started doing this and I've got a nasty case of the green thumb addiction. And I just mm -hmm. love gardening, like just been doing it for a lot of years now. And it's sort of related to my profession, but also not really. Um, I've kind of gone down in the rabbit holes now. So this and 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 this very experiential hands on close up with ecosystems and just mm -hmm. seeing how things worked. And it was pretty phenomenal because one day I woke up and I was like, man, you know, what I've seen firsthand and experienced firsthand just isn't jiving with my political views mm -hmm. and my, uh, you know, my views on the world and the state of things. And uh, it was a pretty difficult uh, process to go through in terms of trying to rethink what it is I believe and stand for. And it was through that process. And this is a long, slow process, right? Like mm -hmm. it takes time. Um, but you know, I began trying to figure out like, what is it that I believe in and what am I passionate about? And it turns out, you know, my purpose in life is uh, I care for trees because I love our planet. And um, I also, uh, you know, like if you think about Japanese Ikigai, that that whole idea of uh, like the perfect intersection of purpose and fun and, and all these things, my Ikigai, I think is growing things and caring for things. So uh, that is how I got to be here today. And that's a 15 year journey for me. Wow, that's incredible, man. Especially the the having to change from a political mindset. I think it's so difficult because you always have people in your corner that are agreeing with with what you're saying. Um, was it was there a process the difficulty in maybe losing some friends or having to get into more debates that that you'd wanted to, or um, you were kind of active about it and and were wanting to share what you had learned? Um, you know what I think. It was, for me, I don't think it became confrontational because I had sort of been across the spectrum. So I think I, I'm actually able to better empathize with uh, people of all different standpoints, you know, wherever you might be in your journey. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's so much been a problem in that regard. Honestly, um, it, it was kind of I think the bigger difficulty was just really like rocking your own worldviews, right? And not only that, but this is around the time I started like contemplating my religious beliefs and things like that. So mm -hmm. there were some real big shakeups across 15 years. And it was really slow and meticulous and, you know, I, I thought carefully about things. But what I think is 
the really important part is that it just simply like been there, done that. Like it's important, I think, to transcend and include, you know, you don't want to transcend and then exclude that, you know, those other people who might be earlier in their journey or where you were in your journey. So I don't think it's necessarily caused confrontation. I think it was just a difficult process. And honestly, it helps me remember that when I'm asking people to reconsider their worldviews on the state of the planet, like I can't, you, you know, I can't come in guns blazing because, um, you know, in my mid twenties, you're not going to convince me of otherwise. So yeah. really cool about this is my own journey has sort of provided me with this blueprint on how to reach people. It's this Trojan horse. And that is like, you have to get people, um, you've got to provide education and, it, and it's just got to be like fun stuff, right? Like about soil and how amazing is soil and trees are just amazing. Like really engage people at a fun level on the learning. And then to the extent you can get them engaged hands-on, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Plant a tree or come join us for an event or, hey, just like start observing a shrub in your front yard and watch all the bugs that are there throughout the year. So that combination of education, experiential learning, and now you might actually get people to reconsider their views. But, but you have to do it in such a way that you're not like running up against those uh, red flags and those 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 trigger points and those classic like you know the way the the media triggers all of us uh right. you can't go that way it has to be a different process i love your mindset with that man and, and you nailed it on the head saying uh rocking your own world is more difficult than anything else um and i think that's so true you know you have that business aptitude that you said from your mid uh, 20s and getting to your 30s you had when you had to make the shift and say hey our purpose is going to take the front seat it's going to be on the center stage were you scared about the business outcomes of that when you first uh, made that transition or over time, I guess you made that transition? Yeah, we've made some pretty heavy duty changes. I mean, okay. Uh, big shift. Number one was in 2016. Um, that was like trying to you know start turning the ship around. We, we rebranded, we dropped the tree service off. We used to be leaf and limb tree service. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of like uh, we also began, that was, again, when I had sort of been heavily influenced by Yvonne Chouinard. So we started like really looking into this idea of corporate responsibility and doing good. And the way we did good back then was we used to do uh, monthly volunteer work here in the community. And we would do that as a company. And we did that for a lot of years. and It was a lot of fun. Um, but then I really, I think, truly found my like where I could name and understand my purpose was probably 20, uh, 2019, mm -hmm. early 2019 ish. Oh. And well, no, early to mid. So 2019. And that was where like I really began to understand with just laser focus. You know, we care for trees that and why we do it is because we care for the planet. And that's me personally. And that is a reflection of the company. So that was the big test because there was a huge um it was like a reconciling, like, well, if this is true, we can't keep cutting down trees because we we started as a traditional tree service. Mm -hmm. So a traditional tree service does tree removal. And actually, when we first began, that was pretty much all we did because that was all we knew how to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we began learning how to prune. And then we got into more complex things like soil ecology and, and we evolved. And the story I told earlier, but then this right. day of reckoning of like, wow, okay. I, this is my purpose. So what am I going to do with removals? And that was a very hard decision because removals were half of our revenue. So we, uh, at the beginning of uh, September of 2019 uh, decided like, you know, it's, we're going to have to get out of removals. And, um, 
January 2020 went live with that, shedding half our removal before I had no idea COVID was coming. Wow. So 2020 was a special year because we basically dropped half our revenue immediately. Um, and to do that successfully, we had to run through this like sprint of um, cross training all of those employees who had been doing removals and other services that maybe they hadn't been doing and building a software platform that could accommodate a total change in business structure, like some really huge fundamental changes. Um, and then, you know, retrain the sales team. Um, and at the same time, we started a pretty radical project called Project Panda, which is this, uh, what we're doing, it's something we're just doing for fun, for good, for the world, not a profit model in this. Uh, we, we go out and we collect wild seeds Mm -hmm. And we're raising those seeds uh, all native. So these are trees that grow here locally that the birds mm -hmm. and the local wildlife eat mm -hmm. and uh, engage volunteers and grow these trees up to give them away for free. Because we're trying to create this like open pipeline of free trees for the world that has um, like native, we want native seeds. Mm -hmm. So we're solving lots of problems all at once. Like one is opening a pipeline of trees, right? You got to figure that out. If we're going to plant billions of trees, we got to figure out where the, where are we going to get those trees from, right? Um, and then we're trying to bring genetic diversity back because the way that nurseries grow trees is often they're cloning species. And they're, so you get the same uh, identical DNA for hundreds of thousands of maples. Uh, and then another component here is that nurseries often grow uh, species that come from Asia because it's what the public wants. Mm -hmm. uh, but those aren't species that support our local ecosystem. Uh, they don't support our local ecosystem. So this volunteer project is aiming to solve a bunch of those problems all at once and get people engaged, right? Because that's the Trojan horse. Right. So uh, it's been just amazing. But, you know, trying to do all that in one year and then COVID hits, it was a <laughs> crazy year. I can only imagine, man, what a journey that's been. And I don't know, and I don't have any experience or education in, in um uh, in trees. And so I'm learning so much from everything you're saying. And uh, I guess it's not as simple as just, oh, let's just go plant some trees. You're talking about the diversity. Yeah. And that's, that's so interesting. Well, I want to say something about that. But real quick, I want to say one other thing, because this is yeah, important please. for folks. Um, what was remarkable about when this happened is um, we had such an outpouring of like-minded people wanting to use our services. When we took a stand for something, we lost business, but we gained a lot more than we lost. We gained a really hardcore fan club who believed in us and what we stand for. And I got to say to any business owner, if you're contemplating making this move, just do it and make it loud. You want to attract because when people hear about this, I've just been amazed at like all year. People are like, oh, yeah, I heard you quit cutting down trees. That's so amazing. And, you know, I want to use you. So suddenly we elevated ourselves to this status of uh like just a just a different we're just in a different like industry now it's just it's really remarkable and and that you know that's it's just really cool to see people rally around something they believe in exactly and the traditional mindset especially for small and medium sized businesses is corporate responsibility oh that's for the big boys you know that's a tab on their end of their website to what they're doing to make a difference and traditionally it's not even thought about you know it's it's what are we doing how are we serving the people with our products and services, and it kind of it kind of ends there. Um, right. And your advice to those business owners to play devil's advocate, you would say that it does actually pay off from a business sense. You know, putting that purpose front and center. 
you just better be for real though. Uh, because yeah. number one, if you're faking it, like that's going to get found out. And number two, you're going to ruin it for the rest of us who are actually trying to make the world a better place. So, <laughs> you know, just make sure you're for real. Um, you got to find your purpose and, and you've got to like, I mean, you've got to be on the personal development journey, which is ultimately what leadership is all about. Um, and that I think has been, you know, part of this whole journey that I wasn't really even talking about is just the personal development you have to do to become a better person, a better leader, a better, you know, insert, whatever yeah. that is. Well, a uh, perfect moment for us to pivot then in terms of your leadership. You know, you, you told me right now about your journey, about your passion and, and how you came up with that and what you've done for your company. Leadership seems like a whole different ball game, but obviously I think one of the hard things to do, but yet important is you have this company with the values and the mission statement, and now your management has to correlate that because if you're, you know, a bully and a micromanager, but you have this purpose about being open and all that, then it ain't going to work. Was it a challenge for you to kind of align the mission of, of Leith and Lim and, and your leadership style? And then overall, I'd love to hear just what you think of your leadership philosophy and what would your employees say if they had to describe you? Yeah. I mean, man, this is all an evolution. When I started this I, I i you know i got into business i became an entrepreneur I, I spent a year working as an economic analyst and then i was so so 23 years old um so i've been doing this now for a while like 15 years basically and um when i first started i was just like totally different than i am now just way more aggressive and brash and money oriented and like you know i I don't know if you're familiar with a personality system called the Enneagram. I'm not, but I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, it's a really cool personality system. It, it basically categorizes people into nine types. I'm a type eight and uh, you know, eights are like hard charging uh, point A to B, get things done kind of people. So, you know, you can probably picture mm -hmm. my personality type. Um, and I think, I think I made a lot, a lot, a lot of mistakes. I don't even really, you know, the only one thing I did right, I think maybe was I started meditating pretty regularly when I was 22. And that's thanks to my mom. She really encouraged me to start that as a practice. And I made it a point to meditate at least 20 minutes a day for four days a week if I was able, sometimes more. Uh, and I did that for a long time. And I think that really helped a lot. Um, another thing that helped me is I had influential people in my life who got me on, uh, you know, uh, the develop the personal development journey. I'll give big credit to my mom for that. She really did help me a lot. Um, and there were other people as well, just sort of this idea of like, uh, you know, you've got to be focusing on learning who you are and what motivates you and like finding those weak spots and, uh, and meditating. These are some important practices, but it was kind of not a ton of, of focus on that for the first 10 years. Mm -hmm. I would not classify myself as a, as a leader of any sort. Um, I worked really hard and I got things done and people enjoyed working with us. Um, but I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, I think I was just a great manager. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in my when, uh, th young thirties, I got a really, uh, it was fortunate. Um, I was referred to a local leadership program here called triangle leadership. And it was also around this time that I knew something was missing. I could see problems at the company 
And I had read enough to know, because, you know, I, like, I do love to read. That's another thing I do a lot of, which I would recommend, a lot of reading. I had read enough to, from, from smart people who had accomplished things to know that if things aren't going well and you're owning and running the company, you got to look at yourself. You're doing something wrong. But I just couldn't quite like put a name on it. You know, I was like, what is this thing? And, and what that thing was is just truly not really understanding leadership. Um, mm -hmm. But it was around this time I got to take this leadership course and it was just like music to my ears because this was everything I needed to have. I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could have heard it earlier in my life. It came exactly at the right time. And uh, just so many good lessons about empathy and about caring for others and about listening uh, you know, uh, working on like, you know, mapping out, like being really rigid about a leadership development plan, something that you're working on every day and every quarter. So I think um, the universe conspired in my favor. And uh, I since then, so it's been five or so years, maybe a little more. Um, I've made leadership a real big priority. And that has made all the difference. Um, if you if you want a certain kind of company, then you have to be that person. It's not going to, and this is really speaking more to the entrepreneur or the business owner, but you're not going to get a company that's not who you are. Cause ultimately like your company is, is so, it so reflects who you are and your character. So it's really important to focus on leadership, which is personal development. Well, I have a saying that goes, obviously universe, uh, the universe tends to unfold as it should. And um, if, you weren't set up with your character and your personal development, then when you had that opportunity to get the leadership course, how would it have, how, how much of it you've been able to absorb really and even execute on it, right? And I yeah. think, you know, a lot of my audience uh, is they're in a position where, and a lot of companies still do this as well, where you're judged on your performance, which is fair enough, that's good. And someone performs really good at the job. And the sales is the best example to make of this. And that person that associated us so well, they get promoted to a sales manager. And they might not be ready for themselves. And they're only up there because of their performance. You know, right. and, and you see so many cases where um, not only do those managers don't know what to do, but because you now inflict the the psychology of power, now they feel, well, I've, I've done this. So now I can, you know, now I can manage now. I am a leader, you know, yeah. but they haven't worked on themselves. They don't know where they stand or where their characters, where their values are. And on top of it now, what they think of leadership is all performance based. And I, I know I, I've run out of lists in my head of how many situations I've seen like that. And they miss the point. Right. Um, and, so and that's, you know, in, in some ways, that gets to this really important concept. Like you've got to measure what matters. And I think that's where a lot of companies fail. If, if you're only measuring money, then, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to, like, you're going to, you're going to get people oriented in that regard. Like if you want a certain kind of person, you've got to, your benchmarks, i.e. your performance has to be uh, measured according to the standards by which you want to have a company. Right. And um, sort of tied along this, I'll try to, put these two together, but yeah. I think there's just a vacuum of leadership right now across the country, like in every regard. And so it stands to reason that if there's a vacuum of leadership, especially in the business world, then, you know, do we really expect there to be an emphasis on leadership? And do we expect to have companies that are bringing out the best in people? Like there's so much human potential on this planet. How much of it is really being tapped into? And um, so I think that's one of my big complaints in general about business and about economy is like we only put emphasis on money. 
Um, we've got to be measuring the things that matter and then we'll get the people and the results that we're looking for. When you say vacuum of leadership, what do you mean by that? I, I think, I think a lot of our major issues right now can be traced back to a lack of leadership mm, in, in, in every, like in every regard, business, politics, there's just such, I'm not saying there aren't leaders. Mm-hmm. Not, sorry if I'm, I'm implying that I'm not. No. Um, I just mean, we need a lot more good leadership. I think one of the aspects of leadership that gets lost, and, it, and this is the thing that's frustrating for me, and, and I love that you mentioned you read books in the last five years. I've, I've become a big reader myself, um, and I see this in every book in terms of one of the biggest aspects of leadership is, are you raising other leaders? Yeah. Are you looking to make other people under you leaders in their own right? And that simple, as simple that is, you just don't see it, right? And it's, yeah. oh, I'm getting threatened for my power. Why would I make someone possibly take my position? And, and I'll be honest, during those situations, I believe the head of the companies, you've set up a structure to now, you know, decentivize this, that uh, manager to not make someone else better so they take their spot. You have to set up a system where that manager feels comfortable doing that. But again, if, if that manager had, a real sense of leadership and had a passion for it, which is very important, then you would know that, you know, if you're trying to make them leaders as well, going to your point, we need more leaders in this world. That's a big aspect of it. If our leaders are making, I want to make sure that their people under them are minions and they're not escaping this minion world, then how are we going to have more leaders? Because you're going to die and no one else is going to have that experience in becoming a leader. So here we are. That and that's the that's the tough thing, right? Like we can sit here and tell people what they should do, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, this is the thing that I, you know, this is the great challenge in my work is really working on. Like, how do you change hearts and minds? You know, that's a very that's a tough thing to do. So, it's almost like you have to experience it. You just need to have had one job where you had a really good boss or a good leader, and you're like, oh my god, like that's something I really want. Uh, that might be one way you get it, or maybe. Maybe you, you know, I don't know, maybe you see successes in another company. It's hard to say, but I do agree with you. Um, it, 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 it's like a, where do you, it's like a ball of yarn. Where do we pull the end to start unraveling it? Like, how do we turn this around? And I, I don't really have a great answer for that. Mm-hmm. It's a tough thing. Yeah, it's very tough. And especially, I think when power comes into play, I mean, it changes people, as we know, uh, from the most basic definitions. But, um, you know, I think when when I believe leadership is influence um, and that one word, there's so many that whether they say it or not, they don't believe it. Right. They, they think it's something completely right. different. I'm here to actually guide these people or I'm here to make sure yeah. they don't mess up. You know, whatever the case may be, um, you know, I'm really happy there are people like you out there that are revolutionizing it. And you're on both ends, you know, from, from the company standpoint, you're break, you're shattering that traditional thought, especially, especially for smaller, medium sized organizations. I know that when they listen to this, they're, I hope they gather some inspiration to take that risk, you know, but it's the fear. It's the fear of right. how am I going to pay my bills? I'm going to talk about all the, you know, things that I'm, you know, worried about, but my services, no one looks at them, so no one's going to buy it, and and you know, a snowball well, effect, and they're going to panic. Well, let me say this, you know, because I've dealt with I've dealt with these things as we transition over the years. Like I've had to sort of you know win over uh, internally, like win over hearts and minds to mm-hmm. make these changes, because some of these were really big asks, and I've, I've I've encountered both these fears that you're identifying. There's the there's the 
losing money fear if I'm going to change my business model. And then like with the staff, there's the, well, you know, if I take, if I go down this road and lose control, then you know, we're not going to, things are going to go out of, well, well there's two truths. Um, number one, we talked earlier about like when you take a stand, like-minded people rally around you. That's something we talked about earlier and it's very true. I've seen it borne out over the last 18 months. So, so it's a hard jump to make, but there's definitely hope on the other side. Now, in terms of, um, you know, making the transition with leadership and trying to build others under you and, and building the capacity of your staff, it does seem counterintuitive, right? But that's because we often get in this mindset of like the pie is a set size. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that like, no, the pie is not a set size, actually. What happens is if you do build capacity and you do help elevate others, the pie just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we all get a giant piece of pie that's bigger than the little pie we had to begin with. It's really true. And it might feel counterintuitive to invest in your staff or invest in somebody under you and help you know, raise their um, level of leadership or level of personal development or learning. But the truth of the matter is, and this is really specifically to like, let's say small, medium-sized business, you want people to be as personally developed and as engaged and as open and honest and transparent and caring. And, and you want to build this healthy culture because what's going to end up happening is you're going to have this amazing company where people want to do the best they can and they're ambassadors for you and your clients are impressed and, you know, your tools are better cared for and your everything, like everything that you ever wanted is there. The things that bosses and dreams smash their, uh, sorry, bosses and um, owners smash their head on the wall about like, you know, the complaints I hear time and time and time again, like, Oh my God, my staff, like da 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 da. It's because you're not investing in creating a really high trust environment where everybody's being developed and elevated. You do that and you're going to get the company you want. It's going to happen. It might feel like a step backwards, but it's 10 steps forward. I love hearing that. And it reminds me of that Forbes article that I read when I first came uh, on your name. You guys mentioned that in within your industry, you guys actually pay your employees more than almost anyone else. Um, what do you contribute that to? And um, again, are taking care of the employees, as you mentioned, is so important. Why do so many people don't do it? And especially you hear so many examples. Look at, listen to yourself right now, what you guys are doing, but you hear it on the bigger companies as well. It seems like there's a blueprint, Yeah. but what is the gap between this blueprint and this available knowledge that is there? And then there's a set of people that is it, are they oblivious to it? Do they not want to do it? Why is there a gap between those two? It's hard to say. I mean, yeah. thinking about my own industry and thinking about other people I know, you know, I would say probably a lot of, I would classify us, we're part of the tree service industry, but we're also part of the green industry, which are landscapers and nurseries. Uh, we're also, you know, classified as blue collar industry. So, you know, we get lumped in with the, with the electricians and the plumbers. So any of those three, uh, I think a lot of um, the business owners and the a lot of the business owners in these industries maybe don't take, don't invest in learning like you might hope. Yeah. And maybe that's not because they necessarily have much of a, an option. You know, it's really hard running small business. I, you know, you're running wide open. Um, 
you're looking, you know, you're getting your crews going and you're looking at jobs. You know, that's a really small business, medium sized business. You've got staff and and people helping, but it's still like it's helter skelter. So yeah. it's pretty easy to get lost in the the day to day, the you know, the nonstop. And and I so I, I have some empathy for that because I've been there. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it it's probably just something to do with devaluing reading and education to some degree. It, it's not, it's, it's maybe not, it may be devaluing a little bit that, that growth mindset or that mm-hmm. you know, thirst for knowledge. Um, and who knows, we could get into a really meta discussion about like, you know, does this go back to our education system or is it like, there's a gazillion meta level stuff. You know, another way to look at this is maybe, maybe getting to, to read and think is more of a luxury for people who have spare time in the day. You know, it's just uh, being in blue collar industry or green industry, there's a lot of price pressures. I mean, 90% of companies in my industry, the tree service industry do not have workers comp for their employees because it's too expensive. So like that gives you some sense of the insane amount of pressure in these industries and how thin the margins are. And yet it's the most, one of the most dangerous industries as well, right? Yeah, yeah, we're typically in like the top five, top 10 most dangerous. And that's one of the reasons why people skip on the workers' comp. Because, you know, you start off, your policy is 40 cents per dollar of wage. So, I mean, you know, there was a year where we had a million in payroll and 500,000 in workers' compensation policy. Now, over time, if you get a track record of safety, those rates come down. And uh, by the way, there's another area where like uh, building a high trust environment really helps things. I mean, you know, talk about real world savings. Uh, that is a place where we saw real world savings because we got a lot safer when we were able to build a higher trust environment. I love that word, high trust environment. And it brings me back to this COVID year uh, where transparency was uh, my keyword uh, for seeing organizations uh, of my peers and, and family members. And it really make or broke a, a lot of people's perspective on on their employer. Um, and I don't, it's just so frustrating because if if it's tough, right? If I put myself in as a business owner and, I, you know, it's really tough, I need revenue here and we're struggling with X, Y, and Z. I don't see why I wouldn't tell my employees that and and really put it all on the table and say, listen, guys, we're, we're struggling because of this. And, and here's how we can fix it. And it's that trust that you do, that that moment of vulnerability you show is just going to reciprocate as trust. And whether someone likes to hear it right. or they don't, the fact that you're being real just from human to human, I think that employee yeah. is going to be, you know, very receptive. But I saw time and right. time again where they closed off, you know, the, the executives got in the boardroom, they closed the doors for a month, they came back out and they said, here's a plan, here's what we're doing and, and shoved it down their throats. And that that's just so many realities that I saw and they expect the employees there to somehow be grateful. Uh, oh, yeah. thank you, we're saved by our savior. But it's like, no, man, we, we wanna be collaborative. We wanna be included. And even if it's bad news, if you're real with us, we'll accept it, right? But when you're not, and then we find out uh, and you haven't told us one bit, Oh, you know, we're not going to include this product anymore. You know, you can't sell this. And then it ends there. You don't hear a reason for it. I don't yeah. know what they expect. So it's just, um, I don't mean to be airing out the frustrations, but. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think change is afoot. Um, I think 
change and i'm an optimist by the way um i, I think change happens in one-on-one -on -one interactions like the one we're having now and the one we'll have with anybody who's listening to this and it happens in lots of ways maybe somebody's working somewhere like they don't own the company but i mean you can still practice leadership and be an example to others and it's infectious uh we're seeing some really cool you know school models i was watching a video on youtube recently about this school i think it was in either knoxville or nashville tennessee where uh, this middle school and they're practicing these vulnerability circles in middle school and i'm like yes like that's what we need self-awareness uh begins you know in middle school like that's that's awesome and i think change is happening the question is you know can we change fast enough uh <laughs> to be determined right that's the goal of this po uh, podcast really uh and, and speaking of optimism i want a world where there's no more bad bosses you know i, I want just real good leadership because the more I've read, though the execution of it is, is beyond tough and no one ex knows that until they're a leader themselves. But the theory of it and the knowledge of it is, is simple. You know, create a high trust environment, be transparent, influence. Like all these words you and I have said throughout this conversation, it's not rocket science. You don't have to write calculations about it, right? But we have a problem with the gap of, of that knowledge and them yeah. understanding it. Well, Okay, simple but not easy for sure. And mm -hmm. I think this is something that worth del delving into just a little bit. Like, one of the things I've learned is that it's um, you're not going to change mindset uh, in any other way other than through behavior. It's that idea that orthopraxy changes orthodoxy. Your actions are actually what change your attitude. So, I think if there's anybody listening to this and you're kind of intrigued, but you're not really sure, you know, an easy way to go about doing this, I think sort of starting, taking the baby steps of change, if, you know, seeing where this all goes is start a, a little daily practice where, um, you know, I don't know, maybe for three months, I want to just practice two or three things. I'm going to practice once a day. I want to write down three things I'm grateful for. Um, once a day, I want to do one random act of kindness, which I love that one. That one really changed me a lot. Um, and once a day, I'm going to sit and close my eyes for five minutes and I'm going to just try to not um, think about anything. Just let my mind rest. Um, I don't know. I'm going to do that for three months. And then in three months, I'm going to reevaluate and I'm going to stick with it if I like it. But if I don't, I'm going to get some new practices. Um, and you just start there. Uh, and then maybe that expands into some reading. Uh, there's some awesome books out there. There's some really influential, like Simon Sinek is, you know, he's a classic, he's written some good stuff. You've got, you know, Yvonne Chouinard is one of my favorite. Um, there's just so many good people you can read some books. So maybe that's part of your daily practice. 20 minutes I'm going to give to just reading a leadership book or just reading whatever. Um, and you just do it like bit by bit, day by day. And what's pretty remarkable is if you can just, if you can just commit to, to some, daily practice and it doesn't have to be a lot it can be that simple um you are going to begin the road uh that and, and there's no like the personal development journey is the journey that's life like you you, you know I, I would i would say you got you got to get on that path sooner than later but don't take my word for it just try a random act of kindness three gratitudes and two minutes of sitting still every day for a month see how that makes you feel
That is great advice. And I'll tell you one thing, I could have definitely used that when I first uh, got in my position of a leadership, because the one thing is for sure is it is extremely overwhelming uh, when you get put in that position. And like I said, a lot of my listeners are aspiring leaders or they've just gotten into a position. Um, and I can tell you firsthand, it, it's so overwhelming because first off, that sense of responsibility is new. Um, yeah. And then second, you know, focusing on people's personalities and, and how they're feeling, are they happy and stuff like that is, is very new. So uh, uh, I think that advice uh, is going to go a really long way, man. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm fortunate. I didn't, I didn't get put in a position and have to just discover it overnight. Like I'm fortunate that I'm an entrepreneur and my business has kind of evolved with me because it's, you know, my company. Uh, so I'm really, like, I can't imagine getting thrown in that position and having to figure it all out quickly. It, it would be overwhelming. I, I think when something's overwhelming, my go-to is, like I said, little daily practices and just reading. I mean, all of the world's answers are either in a book or on Google. You just got to go find them. Yeah, reading is it was my anchor uh, when I started. I don't know where I would be um, if I didn't uh, wasn't reading consistently and helping me guide me through my especially my first three months. I, I was a mess. I I couldn't agree more. I uh, I did not know I did not know a single thing about being in business. I have had to learn so much stuff. And I just get it all from reading. You know, it's just remarkable. I love the fact that the world's answers are there. It's just, you got to find them. <laughs> Let me ask you something because I've been having trouble with this. I, I read a lot uh, and I take notes and I highlight. Um, but when I look back now, you know, a few months back at a couple of books I read, I, I get worried that am I executing everything perfectly and I'll randomly grab it and I'll try to read my highlighted parts and, and I feel like, oh my God, this info is going out. Do you have any tips in terms of, not only reading, but how can you take what you're reading and actually apply it? Operationalize it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think my favorite system is is uh, Paul Allen. I think it's no, David Allen, Getting Things Done. Have you read this book? No, I have not. Okay. It's game changer. Read no. this book. Apply his uh, methodology, uh, but use Evernote instead of, he. you know, it's like his is old school. It's like a you know, filing system and stuff. And his system is just beautiful for capturing tasks and moving them forward. And so I, I, I use that system and I've modified it over the years. That was a real game changer. But when you, when you read the book, um, just then go Google how to apply getting things done to Evernote. Okay. And you will find that to be immensely helpful. Um, and that's like kind of my short answer, I could get into some more nitty gritty, but I guess the only other thing I would add is you're not going to be able to do everything you want in a day. It's just not going to happen. So I try to limit where I'm focusing uh, and I reevaluate per on an annual basis. I do planning and I do it on a quarterly basis. And I take, uh, you know, some time every quarter to just sit down and, and just say, like, try to evaluate whether or not, like, are these practices still something I need to be working on? Or is it time to find some new ones? And when it's time to find some new ones, I go to my what's called the someday maybe stack. And you'll see this in, in his book. Uh, and I look through all these other initiatives that I want to do. And I'm like, oh, that one calls to me. Um, and I do that on an Sometimes these practices will last a year or more. Uh, sometimes they might only last a quarter. Um, and I have some core practices that never go away. And then I have only two to three that I'll work on per three months. So it's a goal setting book, you'd say? Um, no, it's a task management book. Task management book. Okay. Cause it, it might sound, yeah, go ahead. It's the idea of like, how do you, how can you build a system? Okay. Here's the best analogy. 
for like okay. 10 years of my entrepreneurial career, I had to have a sticky note next to my uh, bed because I would just wake up like trying to remember things and write them down. I had this joke about my desk. It was where sticky notes came to die because I had so many sticky notes. <laughs> and one day, and I never sleep very well. Once I got this system implemented, I never stress that I'm forgetting anything because I know my system is airtight. Like I don't have to remember anything anymore and everything moves forward and I can handle so much more capacity when I don't have to worry about things and think about things because I know they're moving forward. Okay. I, I'm definitely going to, uh, I already wrote it down. I'm definitely going to look into this book because I've, I've, I'm, I'm good about reading it um, and I'm good about understanding it. But then when it comes to applying it, I feel like bad habits get in the way and procrastination kind of yeah. creeps in. Uh, but it reminds me of, uh, have you read this book called Measure What Matters? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that one, man. Because it, it, for my work, at least uh, for both this podcast and my day job, um, it completely changed uh, everything I did. Uh, and quantifying goals, yeah. is I'm obsessed with it now. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll say something about goal setting. It's something new I did in December that I really enjoyed. And then I want to go really fast back to that um, daily habit thing and then we'll, we can pivot. But uh, yeah, in terms please. of goal setting, um, I did something new. I do my goal setting work uh, during like the stretch between Christmas and New Year's. And this year uh, I decided to do a creative writing thing where I just wrote a narrative about like my life one year from now. And like, what am I doing? What have I achieved? What have I not achieved? Like it was just a creative writing exercise. And then I actually used that to seed my goals. And that was like a lot more fun for me than I, what I normally do, which is like very systematic. So just a little fun tip there. Wow, um, that is super unique. I it was that. fun, it was fun. I really liked it. Um, and then in terms of this development thing, yeah. So just real quick, and then I, we'll, I know I've been talking a lot about this, but I have a core set of stuff that always stays. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are things you probably should be doing every day. Uh, I think reading 20 minutes a day, and I don't mean you specifically. I mean, just like me, I guess. I, I need to be reading 20 minutes a day. Um, I like to try to meditate 20 minutes a day. Uh, the three gratitudes is very important to me. Uh, that one's always helped me keep, I like, you know, being grateful, I think is really important for building optimism and empathy. Um, and I also uh, try to like write in, in a, you call it a journal, but I just do creative writing five minutes a day. It usually ends up being whatever I'm thinking about. Like those are sort of my core staples. But uh, then the other category, the three to four things, those are rotating. Um, like right now, those rotating things for me are trying to identify like what's the story I'm telling myself. I got that from Brene Brown. I just love that concept. Um, Dare to lead. She talks a lot about this and it's just so spot on. So I'm really trying to identify like what's the story I'm telling myself every day. Mm -hmm. um, I try to take a pause. That's a big thing um, to the extent that I can pause before I react. Uh, that keeps me out of trouble and it helps me make better decisions. And it's just a lot of things. So I'm focusing on the pause. Those are my two big focus points for this quarter. And they'll probably go on for six, nine months, something like that, because they're, they're tough ones. Everything you're doing right now is this year has become really big goals for myself. Um, so, you know, for example, the big problem I have is my discipline with it. So um, I, I read Atomic Habits about a month ago. So um, one of the great things I love from that book is um, it's saying tie a new habit to something you want to do. So, yeah. for example, reading. I love reading. Right. But. I get distracted. And so now I have not only do I have to put a timer for 30 minutes and, and turn everything off, but now I'll do it to something I want to do. So, okay, you can you can play your uh, PGA Tour video game only after you read for 30 minutes. So yeah. that kind of pairing has helped me 
immensely. Yeah. Um, but I know, uh, you know, for me, again, I'm had discipline. So I have to have a timer. I have to have everything set up or I'm just, I'm going to lose it and I'm going to be distracted by something. So, uh, but you like, for example, writing uh, five minutes, I told myself that's something I want to do. I got to get better at doing that. Um, and it's just so easy to forget. Um, I think especially the more you grow up too. Yeah. 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 And part of it is making it easy on yourself. Like the writing thing, I was having problems too, but then I got this app called day one and it's on my computer. It's on my phone. You can do voice and you do all kinds of stuff. So it just makes it easier to do. So sometimes for me, it's like, I just got to make it easier for myself. Um, Cause I struggle also. These aren't, like, these are not easy things. Um, and the area that I really struggle the most actually is coming full circle here with what you were saying earlier. There's so many things I want to do and you just like can't do everything at once. And then, and I learned this the hard way. I was juggling 10 different initiatives for early on and, and I failed at all of them. And I was like, nah, I'm going to, I can only juggle, you know, two or three. And so sometimes that's a little frustrating. I do wish you could speed certain processes up a little bit. Right. But as you mentioned early on, you know, going all the way back, you know, it took you guys 10, 15 years to completely revolutionize and evolve to what you are now. So I think I'm with you. I wish sometimes things would just speed up. But I think the more things you experience and it could be as small as working out to reading or writing to all the way up to changing a company's mission. Shit yeah. just takes time. It just takes time. There's no way of going around it. And like you said earlier, everything happens when it should. Um I think back like, oh man, I should have done this or I wish we had done this earlier and all that. But the fact of the matter is there's so many sequential events and cascading effects that it just happens when it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, and when it happens, it's awesome. I mean, I love, love what I do now more than I've ever loved it before. And sometimes like, you know, one of the big questions I ask myself is because I'm kind of a masochist a little bit. And uh, I don't know when to give up. You know, that's one of the big questions I always think about is how do you like, how do you know when to give up? Because especially if you've started a business, you are, it's just a meat grinder. It's so freaking hard. And for 10 years of, of doing this, I, I mean, I liked it and there were days that were great. And I, yeah, I would sit back on the weekends and uh, reflect and I was generally positive, but I didn't love it. Like I love it now. And I'm just so insanely lucky that I, that I was able to find what I was looking for, you know, after 15 years. It's just really like, I'm very fortunate. I found no, my purpose. This is, there you go. That really inspires me because it really bleeds through that. There's a difference between people saying, I find my purpose and they're still in their head. They're working a job with you for minute one, man. There was no question that this was your passion. You loved it. Nothing was forced. Um, you know, explaining what you guys do for your company and putting that center stage. If you were not genuine about it, like you mentioned, it wouldn't go any far uh, from it. But um, you could tell that you found your purpose, man. And, and I could see it coming through. It's very inspiring. Yeah. And to anybody, you know, if like it just I would say um, it definitely was not always like this. Most of my entrepreneurial career, it has not been like this. And I have not always been this passionate about what I do. Um, so, and I don't have any advice for when to throw in the towel. It's a question I ask myself all the time. Like, when should you throw in the towel? I mean, by any reasonable standards, I should have thrown the towel a long time ago and moved on and done something else. But I have no idea why I didn't. And I can't say for sure what is the rule for throwing in the towel. But I'm glad I stuck with it. So if anybody's out there and you're on a journey like this, I mean, hopefully this serves as a testament that there's awesome stuff out there. When you find your purpose, 
it's amazing. Another thing to look into, you know, as you're kind of on this journey, um, I came across this, one of my friends gave me this a couple of years ago. This also helped me sort of get where I am. I think it's this, this Japanese idea of Ikigai, uh, which is a, a reason for being. And there's some, you know, there's some really cool TED talks and stuff on that. Um, it's sort of the same idea, but it's a bit of a framework that can maybe help you uh, get closer to finding your purpose. I love all of that. Yeah, you're and Vals, I'll say one thing. You're ahead. You're one step ahead of all my questions. So this is great. I'm like flipping through here and I'm like, he's, you're nailing every question before I even mention it. So uh, you've been great, man. Um, is I, I want to finish it off uh, with one thing. Again, going back to my listeners, I want to wrap it up if, uh, into one statement. If you could, you know, someone just got a leadership position or they're on the fence about going into management. I'll use someone as an example. My own sister right now has an opportunity to take a promotion and yeah. she's on the fence. She tells me already, I, do I want the extra work, the hours? And do I want this responsibility? Um, and obviously I'm pushing her to go for it, but there's a lot of people. She symbolizes a lot of people that don't think of leadership or what it is. But if you have any advice for those people, what would it be? Well, I am a big fan of embracing the crucible and the crucible is this idea that um, you grind, you, you're, you're being put through a grinder and what comes out on the other side is better than what went in. Um, it's hard to get into that mindset and really embrace pain and suffering. Um, it's not typical human behavior, but if you can embrace difficulties and challenges, uh, and you do so purposefully, you know, I'm walking into this knowing like, I'm going to take this promotion and I'm going to take those hours because I want to evolve and become a higher um, level of development uh, than where I was a few years ago. That's real, that's purposeful intent. And you're going to find something good out of it. And, um, you know, my favorite place to start, I really love Brene Brown. I'd say Daring Greatly is one of the best places to start. Like her book, if you're brand new to leadership, it's not even totally about leadership, but it is mm -hmm. leadership. Um, that's an awesome place to start. Um, but yeah, embrace the crucible, embrace pain and suffering, do so purposefully knowing you're going to come out better than where you began. Wow. That, that's incredible. Um, and I will say whoever's listening to this, I really hope you're taking notes. I haven't had an episode yet where you legit need to take notes, but you've recommended so many great books that I've had to go on the side here and, and write them down too. And I, I I'm going to just go on Amazon right now and, and get a couple of them. Um, and Basil, you've been, you've been awesome, man. Um, I'm going to, uh, keep up with leaf and limb and what you guys are doing, because again, you focus on so many great things and, um, I'm huge on sustainability as well. So I'm definitely going to be yeah, keeping up with there's that. There's so much That'd be awesome. Uh, it's leaflim.com. Uh, we have a newsletter each month, just you know, teaching fun stuff about trees. It would apply to wherever you are in the US. Um, and I'll also say this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. If you ever want me back, I'd love to come back. We, we can talk more about leadership or even, you know, about trees. There's like just tons of cool stuff to talk about. I had a great time. I, I appreciate you having me. Of course. And we'll definitely have you back on. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch after this. Cool. Thank Thanks, you. Abdul. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I